a mulligan today. Uh, mulligan is a golf term for when you make a bad shot and you want to do it again. I don't know if last week's sermon was a bad shot, but um, there were some things I didn't say. So I'm going to preach on the same exact passage I preached on last week uh, and come at it from a different angle. And you might be thinking, oh no, he's going to do it again. Um, I'm going to say some of the same things, but hopefully apply it differently uh, and in a way with a little bit more impact. And so just as I thought more and more about this text, I thought it was so crucially important that, uh, that I revisit it again. And so we're going to look again at John chapter 15. So if you would, turn your Bibles there. A passage may be well known to some of you. Jesus says this, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant doesn't know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Let's pray. Father, as we revisit this crucial passage again, would you aid our understanding? Would you open our eyes? Would you help us to grow? Connect us, Lord, to the vine, that we would bear fruit, that we would bear fruit for your glory. Lord, would you come with power? And let these words come with power, so that our hearts will be convicted and transformed and renewed. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. In 1992, when Bill Clinton uh, was seeking presidential election, one of his top political advisors was a man named James Carville. Uh, and if you're old enough to remember 1992 and the presidential election, you may remember 
the phrase for which James Carville was famous. Uh, the, way that, the way that Mr. Carville rallied his staffers and the way that he focused the, uh, the, way that he focused the election was by telling his people over and over again, it's the economy, stupid. Now, kids, I realize stupid may be a bad word in your house. I'm not calling anybody a name. It's just an illustration. It's not okay to call people stupid, okay? But over and over again, Carville would say to his people, right, because there's all sorts of things to focus on, all sorts of issues that could be addressed, all sorts of questions that a campaign has to wrestle with. But for Carville, the way that he focused his workers and the way that they probably won the election was by repeatedly going back and again and saying, it's the economy, stupid. Focus on the economy. It's about the economy. Whatever else they want to make it about, make it about the economy. Well, I'm going to take Carville's phrase and try to avoid calling anybody's name. And I'm going to say this. It's about Jesus. There are all other sorts of issues. There are all other sorts of good things that... Uh, that a Christian can be about doing, or if you're not a Christian, there are all sorts of things that you could look at and examine in the Christian faith. But what Jesus seems to be saying in John 15, in fact, what the whole of John's gospel is saying over and over and over again is ultimately, beginning, middle, and end, it is about Jesus. And so there's, there's three ways we're going to look at this. First, we're going to look at the life of the branches Second, we're going to look at the work of the father, the vine dresser. And then finally, we're going to look at the life of the vine, Jesus himself. Uh, But first, let's start by looking at the life of the branches. What is a branch supposed to do? What is its purpose? Its purpose is to bear fruit, Jesus says. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me bears much fruit. Verse 7. If you abide in me, my words abide in you. Excuse me, sorry, verse 8. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. The goal of our lives is to bear fruit. What is that fruit? What is the fruit that Jesus is talking about? Galatians 5, 22. Paul picks up Jesus' word. He picks up this fruit word and he tells us at least in part, what Jesus is talking about. Galatians 5.22, Paul says thus, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Now you would expect Paul to say that the, the, the fruit of the Christian life and what we typically do with it is we make a list, right? We make a list of things we do and don't do. That's what fruit is. And really, most often, we just focus on the negative. Being a Christian means I don't do this. I don't cuss, or I don't fill in the blank. Okay? Uh, And those negatives are there. But often we focus on those to the exclusion of the positive, some of the things we actually do. But more than either one of those, and maybe foundational to both of those, Paul focuses first not on our actions but on our character. Not on what we are to be doing, but what we are being. Being precedes doing. And so Paul describes the fruit of the Christian life. He describes our character, our hearts. Not what we do, but who we are. And whose character is Paul describing? He's describing Jesus' character. 
Jesus is the one who embodied love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Jesus, that's what a, that's what a righteous life looks like. Jesus, and that, and that makes sense. If you're in the Jesus vine, you ought to be bearing Jesus' fruit. If you can't really be bearing any other kind of fruit or you're not in the Jesus vine. And so Paul begins with character. He begins with the character of Jesus. And as we grow in that way, as we grow in love and joy in the others, we bear more fruit, right? The fruit Jesus talks about. We love one another. Isn't it interesting that of all the commandments Jesus could have given to summarize his teaching, he says, love one another as I have loved you. That is the sum total of Jesus' commandments. And so as we grow like to, to be like Jesus, we grow in our love for one another, or we ought to be. As we grow, we will pray more effectively. Jesus says, as my words abide in you and you bear fruit, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. We pray more effectively because our wills become conformed to his will. The more we grow to be like Jesus, I mean, think about Jesus' prayer life repeatedly over and over again. Not what I will, but you will. I've come to do the will of my Father in heaven. If we are to be conformed to Jesus, our prayer lives are conformed to Jesus' prayer life, and we pray what the Father wills. And then, of course, as we grow, as we mature, our joy will increase. Jesus says, I command you these things so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. This is what it looks like to bear fruit. And this is the purpose for your life, to grow in those character traits, to grow in your love for other people, and to grow in joy. That's the goal. That's the end game. The more and more we grow, the more and more people give glory to God. But we need to say this, a couple of things. One, growth takes time. And so, Christian, don't be discouraged that you don't see all of these things in your life right away. These are things that grow over time. Ask any farmer or gardener, cultivating healthy fruit is labor-intensive and time-consuming. If you want to bear fruit, it's going to take time. There's no easy way to grow. But we also need to say this, fruit is not harvested for the sake of the fruit, right? Fruit grows. If, imagine if we, we, we don't grow peach trees so that we can just go out to the orchard and admire the peach on the tree, right? We take the peach off the tree. We eat the peach. Fruit is grown and harvested for, con, for consumption. And so... We are not meant to grow like Jesus, to grow in Christ's likeness in isolation. In fact, how do you know if you're becoming more loving, more joyful, more patient, unless you're bumping into other people? Our fruit, right, right, other people have to be able to taste the fruit, so to speak. And so growth takes time, but growth is for the benefit of others. We grow to, be, to do good to others. But that just kind of gives you an idea of what you're looking for, right? The kind of fruit that you're trying. As you're, as you're inspecting your own branch, what kind of fruit am I looking for? That's just to give you an idea of what to look for. What if it, you're not bearing fruit? What if I'm not bearing fruit? Jesus has a very uh, scary prognosis. 
He says if you're not bearing fruit, if you're not seeing increasing amounts of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, etc., that you're not a part of the vine. That if you're not growing fruit, you're not connected to Jesus. If you're not in the vine, you won't be producing Christ-likeness. And that's a scary reality. There's no way to bear fruit. Uh, To be in Christ means to bear Christ's fruit. Which is what brings us to the work of the vine dresser. The father, he has two jobs, at least in this regard. In regard to the vine, the father does two things. One, he removes those dead branches. Those branches that are not bearing fruit, he takes away and they're burned. And that's a warning, and it's a warning about people like Judas, who had just left uh, earlier in the evening. Judas looked like he was connected to Jesus. I mean, he was a part of Jesus' crew. Uh, He heard Jesus' words. He did the same things that Jesus did, and so surely he's one with Jesus. But that turns out to be false. That turns out to be not true. Judas is removed. His branch is taken away. Judas did not bear fruit. And that's a warning. That's a warning to those of us who maybe think baptism does it. Church church attendance does it. Putting money in the plate does it. Right? As long as I hang around the church, that must mean I'm in the vine. And Jesus says, no, that's not what that means. You must bear fruit in order to give evidence that you are in the vine. But then the vine dresser has a second job. And that's to prune the good branches. Now, I I talked about this last week, and it still just strikes me how incredibly foolish pruning seems. How how counterintuitive it is. It doesn't make sense, right? I mean, if you're a rookie, if you've never gardened or farmed anything, or if you're like me, like you just hack stuff all the way back, um, then if you walk through a vineyard, right, and you see a set of a set of vines that are not producing as many grapes, and you see some, some vines over here that are producing lots, you're going to look at the gardener and say, well, hey, what are you going to do to these? How are you going to get these to grow more? And the farmer's going to say, well, I'm going to cut things off of them. Wait, you're going to get them to grow by cutting? You're going to get them to grow by removing? And the gardener says, yeah, pretty much. Right? And if he were to take you around to another row, where he had just gotten done pruning, and again, you were a rookie and didn't know what he was doing, it would just look like a massacre, right? There's branches littering the ground, like, and there's, there's sap puddling in all the, the junctures where branches used to be, kind of like little, little blood pooling on the, the surface of skin, right? To the untrained eye, it looks like a holy mess. But to the master gardener, it's growth, it's health, it's vitality, pruning is necessary for growth. And so it is with us. And I don't imagine that branches can tell you uh, how painful it is, uh, but people sure can. Pruning is painful, but it's good and necessary. So, just a, a fair warning, if you want to be a branch that bears fruit for God's glory, here's what you can expect. You can expect the vine dresser to come down the row and to say, hmm, this one, this one cares too much for the opinions of others. But she doesn't listen to me. And so she's anxious and she's fearful. I need to remind her how good I am. 
clip. This one, this one idolizes his work. He's trying so hard to prove himself. He's trusting more in what his hands can provide. And he's not trusting in me. I am his identity. I am his provision. Clip. This one, this one is lazy. He enjoys recreation far too much. And recreation is good, but it's not ultimate. Creation is good too. I need to remind him that I'm a worker and that I have a purpose in the world. Clip. She uses her words in a way that is unkind and unfriendly and hurtful. And I need to remind her that I don't talk about her like that. But the words I use of her are gentle and compassionate and loving and forgiving. Clip. If you want to bear fruit, you can expect the vine dresser is going to prune you. He's going to take those areas where you're, you're growing in the wrong direction. That's what pruning does, right? The plant is wasting its energy, spreading out instead of bearing fruit. And so God prunes us so that we would remember His goodness and so that we would bear fruit. And to the untrained eye, it looks like a messy bloodbath. But to the master gardener, it is health and growth and vitality, and it yields a rich harvest. That is what the vine dresser does. So, how is rich fruit-bearing possible? And this is what brings us to the life of the vine. This is why I wanted to re-preach this sermon. Because if we miss this, then we miss everything. And we run the risk of not really bearing fruit. How is the fruit-bearing life possible? Do you notice that Jesus doesn't say, go bear fruit. Jesus says, abide in me. And then you will bear fruit. Bearing fruit is the result of abiding in Jesus. Abiding. To abide. To live to stay with, to remain, to walk with. Jesus says, live with me. Stay with me. Let me in. Hold me fast. You know what the most common description of Christ followers is in the New Testament? It's not Christian. That word is only used a couple of times in the book of Acts. It's not disciples. It's not saints. The most common description of Christ followers in the New Testament is the phrase, in Christ. In Christ is the way that we are described more than anything else. Paul puts it this way in Galatians 2.20. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So whatever else the Christian life may be, whatever good things we are to be about doing, whatever bad things we ought to be avoiding, whatever actions or patterns ought to be necessary, they must begin with union with Christ. They must begin, continue, and end right here. In, I have been crucified and I no longer live, and the life I now live, I live because Christ is raised and resurrected and living in me. I live 
his life. I abide in him. He abides in me. That is how we bear fruit. And if we try to bear fruit any other way, we're dead branches. Apart from union, Jesus says, you can do nothing. You can do lots of things. You can ride a boat. You can go to school. You can write a book. But you can't do anything that lasts, anything that matters for eternity. To do what Jesus is talking about, you must be in Jesus. So, how would you define your relationship with Jesus? Now, maybe, maybe you're on the outside, right? Maybe uh, you're not a Christian this morning and you're still trying to figure out this whole Christianity thing. And so you're saying, what, relationship with Jesus, that's kind of weird. That sounds a little new agey. I don't know what to do with that. Or uh, maybe you're, you're a professing Christian and you're saying, uh, well, my relationship with Jesus is kind of like an employee-employer contract. He tells me what I need to do. I do it and he stays off my back. Right? Is that, is that how you would define your relationship with Jesus. And maybe you, maybe you wouldn't use words. You wouldn't use those words, but that's how you live it. Don't you see that that puts Jesus at arm's length? It says, Jesus, just, just kind of tell me what I need to do, but, but stay at a distance. And Jesus says, I, don't, I won't be kept at a distance. If you want to bear fruit, you must take me in. You must be one with me. To live with someone is to know their mind, is to know their heart, to listen to them, to take their words into you. That's what Jesus said. That's how he describes it in verse 7. But my words abide in you. Not just, hey, listen to what I have to say, but take those words in, chew on them, digest them. That is abiding This is not a construction project. It's not a schematic. It's not a computer program. This is living, organic growth. It's a relationship. And so to abide with Jesus is to walk with Him in relationship. There aren't parameters you can put on that. We talked about this in Sunday school. There's not, it's not like, all right, if I, if I read this much Bible a day and pray this much, I've done my part and that's that. Friend, that's, that's the employer-employee contract. That is not abiding. That is, hey, Jesus, I checked the box. Uh, I paid my dues. Let me know if you need me to do anything else. Right? That's not... Those things are, are useful. Those things are how we abide, but we can't put parameters on them. For some, it's 30 minutes. For some, it's 10. But Jesus says, live with me. Abide with me. Why? How do I, how can this happen? Uh, how, wh- why, do, why do I, in order to live a life of significance, why do I need to abide in Jesus? Why do I need him to take me in? Why do I need to take him in? Why must we be united? And it's because you need a true vine. You need a true vine in place of your false one. Right, we read, uh, Zach read for us Hosea 10. And that's an image that Hosea uses, that Isaiah uses, and that uh, the psalmist uses in Psalm 89. Israel in the Old Testament is called a vine. He's God's vine. God plants him. And yet every single time that image is used, Israel is a false vine. 
He does not produce the fruit. He's a bad vine. And God has to come in and cut him down. Israel's a failure. And you know what? So am I. And so are you. And yet, there's another image that the prophets use that after that vine is cut off, after it's been removed and all you have left is this charred stump, a branch shoots up. A shoot from Jesse's tree, from David's house. Someone to come. And Jesus comes along and he says, I am that true vine. I am better than everyone else. I am the real deal. I am the one who succeeds where you fail. Israel could not be the vine. I am the vine. And the only way you're going to bear fruit is if you are in me. Jesus is true because he listens when we don't. Jesus is true because he obeys when we don't. He is true because he succeeds where we fail. And you know what? No vine was pruned as greatly as Jesus was pruned. Hebrews 5 says, He learned obedience through suffering. That's a big phrase we could unpack a whole lot more. But Jesus, the Son of God, He too had to endure suffering so that He could be so that he had, he had to be pruned through suffering so that he could bear fruit. And oh, look at the fruit that he bore. Fruit that covers the world. And so to borrow a phrase from another political leader, don't ask what you can do for Jesus. Receive and rest upon what Jesus has done for you. Do you want a life that matters? Do you want to be a better person? Do you want a legacy that resounds not just temporarily but into eternity? You have to be in Jesus. You must abide in Him. The picture here is not a slave awaiting, for, awaiting his instructions. It's not a soldier waiting for his orders. Abide in Jesus so that you will have life. And you will flourish forever. Let's pray. Again, Father, we thank you uh, for your word. Lord Jesus, we thank you for these words and we thank you for their truth. Lord, whatever was of me, I pray that it would fall to the ground and pass away. And whatever is of you would bear fruit that it would find root, take root in our hearts and bear rich fruit. Lord, I pray that we would be, that we would abide in the vine, that we would thrive and that we would grow. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and sing together.